0: everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. Let's jump right in. Something very exciting that we have to tell you guys. We are going to be interviewing the one, the only, Sir Mankey with the hanky, Josh Mankiewicz. (laughs) (laughs) He's been on our show, I want to say four times. This might be number five.
1: That sounded very casual how you drop that. He may have been on, I don't know, three or four times or something like that.
0: But he hasn't been on in a while. So we're very excited to have him to discuss this case. Very excited. And I can tell this case is very close to his heart and we can't wait to ask him questions. So that episode will be coming out just probably a couple days after this episode.
1: Yeah. We're shooting for a Friday for a double date. Yeah, you will get to hear from this prince's mouth. There we go. I was going to say the colonel, <laughs> and that did not sound right either. I like
0: colonel. Colonel Mankowitz arriving for duty.
1: That's great. Hello, this is Colonel Mankowitz. <laughs> I'd like to order a large steak sandwich. <laughs> I don't know why he's ordering for himself. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> See, this is Colonel Mankowitz. I'm holding for the president. That sounds better. I, that sounds much better. I'm so sorry, Josh. I I apologize. Oh. you need to do all the talking in this interview. It's clear. It's crystal clear at this point. Whoo! It's gonna be great. Yeah, but that's
0: really exciting. We're excited. Thank you so much, Mank. Isn't it exciting? I'm so excited. Woohoo! This episode is called After the Dance, not The Last Dance, which is what I kept calling it in my head.
1: Oh, I kept calling it After the Dance. So does that help you?
0: (laughs) Not at all. It makes me feel weird things about you.
1: Because I like to go dancing. Is that why? On the stage? Okay, sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This episode aired on January 28th, 2022, season 30, episode 14. We have only had one episode by our very own Sir Manky with the Hanky, Josh Mankiewicz. This season, that is unacceptable, NBC. This is now our second. It's not great. I'll accept nothing less than 25% since there are four hosts. I was about to say something way higher and then felt like that was rude to the other hosts.
1: Good, smart thinking. Quick on your feet. I'm learning. Great.
0: This episode takes place in Fort Worth, Texas, and we learn right away they have a whole room of cold cases, like 971 cold cases. And Josh says, people crying from the grave. And I thought, oh boy, are we in for a doozy of an episode? But it also had some lighter moments too. Mank gave us some tears and he gave us some laughter, as he always does.
1: Yeah, it was a very well-rounded episode, but do have an appropriate hanky ready Not just because it's Josh Mankey with the hanky, but because it's a tearjerker, but it's also fascinating.
0: Yeah. We meet a very young teenage boy. Well, we don't meet him. We see photos of him because it's in 1974. So we're meeting him now as an older gentleman. He was 18 in 1974, and he was very cute. His name is Rodney McCoy. And he was a high school football player with a floppy hairdo.
1: Just super cute. Just everyone was cool back then. I don't know. I just love all of those pictures.
0: But he had a good face structure.
1: He had sort of a perfect 1974 face. I don't know how that's possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I bet girls just adored him at that high school.
0: I did. And I was watching him 40 years later through the TV and I adored him. There you go. So his girlfriend, also stunning, Carla Walker. Yeah. They were the it couple. They were the cool kids. She was a cheerleader, very Marsha Brady. So basically, they were dream team couple. Big man on campus, big gal on campus. And she drove a Monte Carlo, which I feel like is a very 70s cool car. But I don't know what it is because I have car blindness.
1: We've had it before. We've had a Monte Carlo before. Nope we get an extraordinary amount of footage of the Monte Carlo. Do you feel like after this episode, you could tell the difference between that and a Prius?
0: (laughs) Yes. Between that and like a Lincoln? No.
1: Well, no, not a same shape car. Could you, if you were at a crime scene, give the general outline description of the shape of the car?
0: I would say it's rectangular.
1: Yes. You're getting better. You're healing in 2022.
0: I'm reeling in my geometry knowledge from high school and I could do shapes now.
1: Yep. it's great.
0: So the teenagers would drive around cruising and hanging out in parking lots. Taco Bell was apparently the big place to hang out, which made me laugh so hard because when I'm at Taco Bell, I don't want to be around anyone of the opposite sex or anyone that I'm interested in. I'm just covered in beans and cheese
1: and gassy, but you would have hated my high school because it was also a hangout spot for my high school. Really? It was a big destination if we were going to Taco Bell.
0: Nowadays, when you go to Taco Bell, is seeing a bunch of teenagers hanging out outside there your biggest nightmare?
1: Yes. But I have not seen teenagers at a Taco Bell in a long time. I think those days have gone. I think they've moved on to other places like internet cafes. I don't. Sorry, they might not hang I'm, out. at They don't hang out. I'm, what about yeah. Starbucks? Maybe they hang out at star at like coffee places. Did you just say internet cafe? Yeah, I did. Are we in '96? I don't know what happened to me. Okay, I watched Yellow Jackets. That's in 1996. That might be what's happening here. Okay, anyways, no. But I feel like Taco Bell now is reserved for road when you're on the road. Okay. I always feel like that is a safe fast. For some reason in my head, if there's like a litany of fast food restaurants, Taco Bell's the safest one to me.
0: See, I feel it's like the least safe because it's the most likely to give you traveler's
1: diarrhea. I don't know why I feel like that's the opposite. It's fine.
0: Whatever keeps your tummy happy and not bubbling on the road is great. The Valentine's Day dance was at school. It was a big deal. And Rodney picked up Carla in his mom's Ford LTD. Also, no clue. I think we also see that car driving.
1: Not as much. I don't even remember that car. I don't remember it being mentioned. I don't remember seeing it. So no memory of that.
0: So we he was driving over to pick up Carla and he realized he forgot the corsage and was super late to get her. And Mank is listening to this, just shaking his head, which made me think there should be a show in which Mank gives single guys advice on their dates. He would sit in another corner of the restaurant and watch through like headphones and a little iPad. And then he would call the guy over halfway through and give him notes And then he'd go back to the date and then watch the notes, call him over.
1: Yeah, it would be good. Or just a Cyrano de Bergerac where it's in the ear. It's an earpiece. And so he's just saying, "Okay, now tell her (laughs) that her eyes are the color of. See, do you know what I'm saying? Your favorite sunset. I don't know what that means.
0: Didn't he once use a color that was so shocking? Like the name of it was so we had never heard of it.
1: Cerulean was it cerulean? Because that one always surprises me, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't think that was it. That's a color. Was it raw umber? Do you remember that crayon color <laughs> or burnt sienna? There's a few crayons that are wild.
0: I do remember burnt sienna for sure.
1: Do you remember raw umber?
0: No, I don't. Uh-uh. Okay, that makes me uncomfortable.
1: That also sounds like pornography. So apologies if anyone's offended by me saying that. But look in your box of crayons.
0: Raw umber sounds like it's going to give me salmonella. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be cooked.
1: Or it's like something you're supposed to rub on your elbows to make them really soft. And it smells terrible. Do you know what I've said? There's a few uses for raw umber, but (laughs) mainly it's a crayon color.
0: So they went to the dance and the theme of the dance was Love is a kaleidoscope, and Mank says to us, Come on, it was high school because <laughs> we were all judging. He knew we were all judging. I was judging,
1: I thought it was kind of actually better than I expected.
0: It's very 70s, too. A kaleidoscope,
1: it totally is. It's very psychedelic. I like it
0: at 1 a.m. Carla's parents and her siblings hear a voice outside their house yelling, Mr. Walker, help me. This is where it gets very sad. It was Rodney and his face is covered in blood. And he says, they've got her. They've got her. And we are meeting in the present day, Carla's brother, Jim, and her sister, Cindy. We're both lovely. So Rodney tells the police what happened. They were cruising around. They went to the Taco Bell, of course. Then they were driving around some more and Carla had to go to the bathroom. So they stopped at a bowling alley and they started making out in the car. And he's kind of describing their position. All we will say is that they were horizontal and it was getting hot and heavy.
1: Yeah, it's high school bowling alley parking lot. Seems right.
0: Super hot. So. Suddenly, the passenger door opened and a man with a gun was there. He hit Rodney with the butt of his gun. He pulled the trigger of the pistol three times in Rodney's face, but the gun didn't fire. Then the man grabbed Carla out of the car and kept hitting Rodney. And she said, stop hitting him. I'll go with you. So she kind of like saved his life. It's very sad.
1: Yeah. And heroic.
0: As she was being pulled away by this stranger, she screamed to Rodney, go get my dad. And that was the last time he ever saw her. He blacked out then because he had been beaten. And when he came to, he raced to the house to go get Mr. Walker. Now we learn a little bit about Carla. She was under five feet tall. She wanted to be a veterinarian. She was a blonde spitfire. She demanded that new Monte Carlo when she turned 16. And she got that Monte Carlo when she turned 16. <laughs> and I kind of wondered how what her siblings felt about her getting a brand new Monte Carlo when she turned 16.
1: I feel like there's more to this more to the story. I'm wondering if the parents made a bargain that they were frustrated that she actually kept her end of it. OK, if you do all your chores, get straight A's for two semesters. I bet you there was a litany of things that she had to do and she did every single one and they were like, "Ah, oh, crud. <laughs> We got to buy her a Monte Carlo. <gasps> you know, that's what happened. I feel like they seem pretty well adjusted. The siblings do. I don't. And at no point is she described as a BRAT.
0: No. Although the sister does say she got whatever she wanted. and She made a stink if she didn't. But it was charming the way she they said it.
1: But they also made it seem like she went after whatever she wanted. Like she worked for it, too. So,
0: yes, absolutely. Four days later, Carla's body was found in a culvert. Okay, we're both giving each other the same look. I had to look it up. I'm not embarrassed to say that I had no idea what a culvert was. I don't think I'd ever heard that word before.
1: You had culvert city. It's a town in Los Angeles.
0: <laughs> She's making a joke. It's culvert city. I guess anyone.
1: Yeah, that's for our seven a- LA people. Hey guys.
0: Yeah. A cul- culvert is a tunnel carrying a stream or an open drain under a road or railway. And I really am glad I learned it because they say it like 17 more times in the
1: episode. Well, they also show it to us so you can sort of tell that it's a tunnel.
0: Yeah. It's like a tunnel under a road,
1: kind of. Sorry, what was Keith going through, the, the, the gyrie and the gimby. Did Guyer and Gimbal in the way? What was he doing? Sorry. (laughs) Keith was good. Sorry. I did not mean to go into Jabberwock. Remember, Keith is in the the reeds, but it's not reeds.
0: Oh, the skitters.
1: That's it. Skitters in the rush.
0: That's it. Skitters in the rough. I
1: think it was. Okay. So now we have a culvert. We're just adding things to our repertoire.
0: I'm learning so much.
1: So now you have to use it in public or it didn't happen. And don't do what I just did and not remember what it's called, because that's not effective. Or you can just use Jabberwocky. Right. <laughs>
0: so Carla had gashes on her legs and bruises. She had fought very hard. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled. It's a horrible, horrible death.
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: The police, however, do a really great job. This is in the 70s. They have no idea about DNA technology. They've never heard of it, but they preserve all the evidence as if that is going to be something in the future. They just knew technology is advancing really fast. We have no idea what they'll be able to do in the future. So let's make sure we get every inch of this place and preserve it all. So smart.
1: Weren't you so impressed? So impressed. I just thought we don't often see this. We see the opposite a lot where, you know, they they needed evidence and it got contaminated or something like that. But we've never seen something where they're using the most cutting edge things they have to preserve at the time, hoping for something in the future. It's really that's pretty cool.
0: Mm hmm. One of the cops is filming the crime scene on this extremely old camcorder.
1: This little mini Kodak thing.
0: It is. It looked like my parents' Betamax one.
1: What did that look? I've never seen a Betamax camera, I don't think.
0: Or they had they had one that had a VHS tape go on the side too. That one was really big. Like way too big to bring around on
1: vacation. <laughs> Those I've seen. You're basically
0: like filming a huge like movie. You have this huge thing on your shoulder.
1: Because it's in a case, right? I remember seeing people have them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's like a boombox while I'm aging myself with a boombox and a VHS and a Betamax. It's like this huge thing that you have to carry around on your shoulder, basically. trying to enjoy your vacation.
1: So is a Betamax little? The Betamax, no, it was still big. Oh, okay, But what is this thing that he had? Because it appeared small. It looked like a Polaroid camera almost. It's almost
0: like you would have to wind it. (laughs) There'd be a little knob on the side and you'd have to turn it like a crank.
1: And the film did look a little bit like when you see the early films with Charlie Chaplin, where it sort of flickers and it's in a vignette. So the corners are black. The corners are black. The footage that we see. But it is so impressive that they went that far to get cameras at that point so they could record the crime scene not just keep the evidence but have a visual reference of it that's pretty great
0: mhm then we see mank and he is in an alley behind barbed wire The camera kind of shoots over in a very fancy shot over the barbed wire into him in the alley. And he's talking about how there were no security cameras then. And he looks up and there's a security camera. And then we see the footage of him looking up at the security camera. It was a good little fancy shot. I see what you did there at Dateline. I liked it. So he's talking how there's no security cameras, no cell phone pings, nothing like that. But they did have Rodney, who was the witness. So they try hypnosis and... The detective says that under hypnosis, he was hysterical and snot was running out of his nose, which I thought was a very weird but vivid detail to give us on Dateline, but it did set the scene of how scared Rodney was. He describes the man enough so that they can get a sketch of his face, and he also says that he was wearing sleeveless green jacket, like a vest.
1: So my thought was an army jacket. You know, they make them in camo and just green, the army greens, with the sleeves cut off. Yeah, I've seen that.
0: Okay. And a cowboy hat. He said he shocked like a cowboy. So the detective wonders if the killer came to town with the rodeo. So they went and looked at all the cowboys and all the rodeo clowns, but they didn't get anywhere. I do feel like they uncovered at least 15 other crimes, though, because that rodeo scene is wild and is there a documentary on that? Because I would watch it.
1: There's got to be.
0: I bet there is. They keep interviewing Rodney, and he's sitting down with every member of the detective team, and he starts to feel like he's a suspect, and he tells Josh Mankowitz, I mean, I don't know why I was a suspect. And Josh Mankowitz says, I'm going to tell you why. Here's the thing, Rodney. You didn't go to the police. You instead drove to the Walker's house. You said they took Carla, but you only described one man. Mm. And then it gave me an idea for another show where Josh Mankowitz sits down with different people and tells them why they look guilty. Here's what you're doing wrong.
1: Just physically. Here's the actions that you've taken that make you look like a guilty man.
0: Not it It could be that or it could just be like, here's what's going on. Your shirt.
1: Oh, you need a haircut. OK.
0: Reads guilty. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I get you. huh hmm. Mm
0: hmm. But it all could also be, here are your actions. This is what you're doing, the missteps you've taken in your life that make you look guilty.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: Yeah. Mank interviews a girl who got a ride from Carla and Rodney the night of the dance. And basically, she was just, and still is to this present day, so giddy to be given a ride from the cool couple. She says it a bunch of times. It's very endearing. Mm. I felt like I was her. I felt that. She's like, I was just excited to meet them. And she says that they were not fighting that night. There was no indication that anything was wrong between Rodney and Carla. And Carla's family also doesn't think Rodney had anything to do with it. That He was part of the family to them.
1: Did you at this point?
0: No, I thought he was innocent. (laughs) Yeah, 100 percent. Rodney passed two polygraphs. So the police moved on. They find a magazine in the bowling alley parking lot from a Ruger pistol. And they think that when the person hit Rodney with the gun, the magazine fell out and that's why it wouldn't fire. So they look into the records of who owns that gun. And it was only about 40 people. So they interview all these 40 people. All of them had alibis. They asked about 20 of them to take polygraphs and they all passed. Meanwhile, Carla's family is trying to move on they talk about the sister you know would sleep in the living room thinking that that she was going to be returned at any minute and Rodney was sleeping at their house in Carla's bed because he like wanted to be close to them Carla's sister Cindy's wedding was three months after and she didn't want to go through with it but the family kind of said, you, you have to go through with this. The parents were very stoic and didn't talk about it much. But Carla's brother, Jim, realized that his mom would go into the shower to cry. And he's explaining this to Mank and he has to stop the interview because he's crying. And it's very, very touching. I mean, it's been over 40 years and he's still that devastated by it.
1: It's also really an important thing to watch, I think, just because these last couple of years have been really hard for a lot of people with what we've The world has gone through right and so i feel like watching someone be so comfortable sort of talking about their grief was important and then also i've never seen someone handle it better than josh makowitz he's so just understanding and just you take your time just this sort of sweet. He gives Jimmy a look in, a, in an earlier interview, too, when Jim's also seems to be having a hard time. He does this just knowing look and it's all you need. I feel like that's beautiful. Also, Josh
0: says repeatedly he doesn't really believe in closure. He doesn't really think it exists. He thinks it's always hard for the families. And so I think he really does get it.
1: Yeah, I think he really does. And Jimmy is, by the way, a fantastic both of the siblings, Cindy and Jim, are fantastic interviews. I just want to put that out there from the jump.
0: Slowly, the case starts to grow cold because finding a killer in a cold case is almost as hard as finding a good employee for your small business. Did you know that?
1: Yeah, I did. It's correct.
0: Think of all the local businesses, big and small in your area that are having to close on certain days because they don't have enough help. If your Taco Bell is closed, where are the teens going to go to hang out and stress out Katie because she thinks they're talking about her? Workable is the solution for all types of businesses, all sizes, from big to small. Workable helps you post all the jobs you're trying to fill and they post them to more than 200 job boards with just one click. It helps you evaluate and hire quickly with video interviews and e-signatures and Workable can help you automate tasks that are super annoying like scheduling interviews and emailing and other admin things that no one wants to do. There are 46% more jobs being posted than before the pandemic, and there are 44% fewer candidates applying to each one. So it's rough out there. Whether you're hiring for your coffee shop or your engineering team or trying to find a hitman willing to work for a reasonable price, Workable helps you find the right people fast. You can start hiring today with risk-free 15-day trial. And if you hire someone during that trial, which a lot of people do, It's still free. Go to workable.com to start hiring. Workable is hiring made easy. So get working because it's easy and it won't feel like work.
1: Ooh. Thank you, Workable. Thank you, Workable. Work. I'm going to work that into my business plan for my internet cafe. Sounds great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Katie's internet cafe, now hiring.
1: I think it's going to have to be Katya's internet cafe. We're going to have to make it sound more exciting. No one's coming to Katie's Internet Cafe. They may come to Katie's Cat Cafe.
0: A cat cafe that also has internet. But no one's using the internet because everyone has their phones.
1: And everyone is busy holding a cat. That's the point of a cat cafe. And picking hair out of their tea or whatever. Because I'm assuming that would happen at a cat cafe.
0: Yeah, I would think there's lots of furballs floating around in those frappuccinos. At this point in the episode, we meet Vincent Strange a true crime podcast host of Gone Cold, and also another podcaster on Dateline who isn't us. Just kidding. Good for you, Vincent. Love your glasses.
1: Is it on our bingo cards? Yes, it is. Okay.
0: Podcaster who isn't us is on our bingo cards. Yes.
1: You know, we've had four in the past few months.
0: More than that now. It's almost like every episode there's one.
1: I'm beginning to take it as a hint.
0: It's getting embarrassing.
1: A hint of embarrassment, a hint of we don't want your kind around here. Dateline, can you just let us know that you like us? Just we need some self esteem. It
0: feels pointed. <laughs> this point, especially when they come on and they don't really add much to the episode. We're also covering the case.
1: He was in it for two seconds. But Kimberly, we don't cover we cover what Dateline's covering. So we would be redundant to bring on for Dateline. So we would need to cover something outside and then I know send Dateline like a hint. Hey, we're looking into this. Hey, we're doing a 10 episode arc of this case. We'd need to do that.
0: Maybe Dateline will cover 90 Day Fiance and then we can come on and talk about it.
1: When a murder happens from 90 Day Fiance, which it's literally a matter of time, then there you go.
0: Well, any day now. But Vincent, you did a great job. We want to be friends with other podcasters. I loved his glasses too. I liked his whole vibe. Vincent, we're new fans of yours. Not new fans. I think I've already been subscribed to his show for a long time, actually. In 2016, Vincent read about Carlos' case and got obsessed with it. He tells us about some very strange yeah, because his last name is strange. oh things that come up in the case so two months after carla's murder police arrest a man named tommy ray nealon who confessed to several other murders vincent uses some dennis murphy slang also when he's talking which i did enjoy he says things like tommy lee spilled the beans and the police popped him <laughs> like he talked a little bit like a gumshoe from the 40s I liked it. So police put Tommy Lee in. Sorry, Tommy Ray. Different person. Tommy Ray in a lineup. And has Rodney listen as all the men in the lineup say, come with me, which is what the man said to Carla. And Rodney picks Tommy Ray out of the lineup.
1: I feel like someone with the name Tommy Ray would have the thickest accent.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He denies Carla's murder. He fully admits about these other murders, but totes, I did those. No way. Not Carla's. I am nothing if not truthful.
1: That's a bad sign.
0: Then another guy, Jimmy Dean Sasser. So it's always the, the two name people. Jimmy Dean. So this other guy, Jimmy Dean comes into the police and confesses to killing Carla Walker. But the police don't believe him. And with good reason, his mom says that he often gets drunk and confesses to crimes. (laughs) And Mank says to Vincent, as one does. And Vincent laughed with Mank on that. And so I was on board with Vincent. He gets along with Mank and that is all I need.
1: What a horrible habit. I get drunk, and no, I don't go out and sleep in the field with the cows. I confess to murders I didn't commit. States away. He's in Nashville when he's confessing to a murder in Texas.
0: He's a true crime buff. He's just too into it. Wow.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: Rodney eventually leaves Fort Worth to work on an oil rink in Alaska. He couldn't deal with the guilt. He wishes that she was there instead of him. And people in Fort Worth still kind of think he might have something to do with it. So he gets out of there. Carla's sister, Cindy, had a daughter that she named Carla. Carla. After Carla. And she would say to her daughter, You're just like your Aunt Carla. Same sassy attitude, same short little legs. I'm being punished for something. And I thought that was so cute.
1: The short little legs is what did it because you can see it. (laughs) Yeah. We all know Little Spitfires and it somehow just makes it so much better.
0: Yeah. Carla's brother Jim was so messed up, unfortunately, that one night he sleeps in the culvert hoping to catch the killer. And a culvert is a tunnel under a road, in case you forgot. But I didn't, because I learned. Brother Jimmy decides to go into law enforcement, but couldn't because of an eye condition. He is so dedicated to solving Carla's murder. He lives in the house, the family house, after his parents die, strictly because he's hoping that one day someone might stop by and confess have a guilty conscience because they're dying and knock on the door. So he stays in the
1: house. That one got me. Jimmy's whole interview got me. I want to talk to him just because I just want to talk to him. (laughs) You know how sometimes people talk in sound bites. He did the same thing, but not on purpose. He did it several times. He's like, I felt like someone might come and knock on the door and tell me and have a death story to tell me. For some reason with Jim, he's just so earnest in it. It's like, no, I really anything that could help this case. We couldn't give up the house. It's like parents with a missing child where they don't want to leave in case the child comes. He felt the same way. He was just so affected by it.
0: He was 12 at the time. That's the. And for the next 30 plus years, he nags the police constantly. Anytime there's a shift in detectives there, he nags them about it. He wants to get it solved. We meet Detective Sarah Waters, and in 2005, she was asked by her sergeant to clear some cold cases. So she sent Carla's dress that was preserved all this time, and they find a stain that they thought could be sperm. They also find a partial profile for an unknown man. They compare it to samples they had collected over the years, and it doesn't match, which means that the serial killer, Tommy Ray that had done the voice lineup was eliminated.
1: So they can match the partial to people's DNA they already have.
0: Yes. Ten more years pass and Detective Waters is ready to retire. She had used all the technology that she possibly could. So she says to her boss, it's going to take new technology to solve this. Leah Wagner... And Detective Jeff Bennett are the next detectives to work on the case. They start at the beginning. They want to include everyone that was excluded before. So back to basics, 83 names, ex-boyfriends, friends, kids from school. They interview as many of them as they can, and they take DNA swabs. And they say, you know, the purpose of this is to exclude you. And Mank says, that's what you always say. He's funny. It's good to have you back, Mickey.
1: It it definitely is.
0: They get a Facebook message from a woman saying, my ex-husband is the killer. She had found a metal box in the house filled with newspaper clippings about Carla and her ex-husband went to school with Carla. He comes in and he says, well, um, it had lots of memorabilia from my past in it. Not just Carla, like everyone that I knew, it has clippings from my mom, my dad, my sister-in-law, my cousin, my dog walker, my exterminator, everyone he ever knew he kept clippings of. My mechanic, a guy that lived five blocks away that I never met. A-Rod. Anything about A-Rod. Articles about Twilight because it's my favorite movie. I'm Team Edward. Just I keep clippings of things, basically.
1: Death clippings. It was a memorial box.
0: It was about anyone who was ever in the paper, I think, specifically.
1: Oh, well, the cops said it was a memorial, but it's not. It's just memories of period, not of someone who's passed.
0: I think so, but it seems to be people like Carla. He had never specifically maybe even met. They just went to the same school. So he kept clippings about her funeral, about the case. He's maybe a local historian, shall we say?
1: That wife was mad at him. (laughs) What I'm thinking more is that he became a true crime buff. And so when something so serious and dark happened around him, he sort of started to collect things like that and got interested in. I bet if we found out about him, I bet he read detective novels. I bet he became like someone who that was an interest of theirs. And the wife was just I wonder if she genuinely thought he might have done it.
0: Or was she just genuinely sure that she hated him because they are getting divorced?
1: This <laughs> c- correct. That is the question.
0: I felt like he was a little suspicious because the photo of him that we see from when he was 17, it's like he has a full-on demon inside of his eyeballs. If he did not do this, he did something else. And that something was offering up a rabbit sacrifice to Satan.
1: Have you ever taken a bad picture?
0: Never. How dare you?
1: Okay. I know he's mad that they used that one. Probably they got it from the ex-wife. Yeah, yeah, she's like, here's here's a perfect picture. No, actually, they probably pulled it from the yearbook. And he's like, oh, that year. And it's the one. I have several that I have thrown out when I find them.
0: I can sympathize. He has light eyes. So it really does look like he's a demon.
1: It does. And also, he looks so much different than the sketch that he should have been ruled out immediately because he was young and blonde with a bowl cut. So I'm not sure where we were going with him looking anything like the other drawing. That's true. That's fine.
0: They rule him out because they take a DNA sample and it doesn't match. But there's someone else that police can't rule out. Mank says, I'll give you three guesses who. And I.
1: And you guessed.
0: Stupidly said,
1: who? Did you really?
0: I didn't think about Rodney because in my mind, Rodney's innocent. So I was like, surely not. They're not coming back to Rodney.
1: You've watched Dateline for a really long time. I uh, no.
0: And he posed such a hypothetical that he almost might as well have said, only the idiots amongst you are not going to get this. So I'll give you three guesses. But really, you should only need one. And really, it's not even a question because you're already thinking this because you guys are smart. But I was like, "Who?" sad.
1: I'm trying to not give you a pity face, so I'm just going to look down. I'm sad for you. I'm sad. Why do you think I asked you at the beginning, did you think Rodney did it? I was still a little, please tell me he didn't. It was more of that feeling. Like I was worried they were going to twist this and it was going to be Rodney because we weren't seeing what I needed to see in his interview. And so I was like, oh, God. I for
0: sure got an innocent vibe from him. 100%.
1: I did, too. And I was hoping that this wasn't the time I was wrong. Right. Yeah. I was really concerned or that he had been wrongfully accused and imprisoned. I, I was I didn't know I'd never heard of this case, so I didn't know where we were going. hmm. Yeah, this one's rough. I felt like the minute that they found that there was a DNA that did not match Rodney on the dress that was actual sperm that Rodney should never have been looked at again. This, what happens right now, should not have happened because we already knew at this point that there was other male DNA on the dress.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have a theory horrible to say that she slept with someone
1: else. That night? That night, and he found out and got really mad and attacked her. But they never say that, and I don't think so because she's young. We're in the 70s. People had sex in the 70s. Yeah, no, but I just, I don't know if that would have been a theory they would have gone with, not based on her.
0: Right. Someone else could have had sex at the dance and then rubbed up against her. There's sperm travels through high schools. Maybe. Traveling sperm. Yeah. It's like Dora the Explorer goes all over.
1: I'm wondering if they must have thought something like that, because I can't think of why it didn't completely exonerate Rodney. From ever being looked at.
0: Yeah, they are very suspicious of Rodney. And this is where I feel like they really lost their way because I felt like they were on the wrong track here completely.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed.
0: So they think it's him, first of all, because stranger killings are so rare. It's usually someone that you know. Also, they found these three old letters from 1974 sent to the police accusing Rodney of being the killer. And Mank suggests to them, Well, it could just be the real killer trying to point the finger at Rodney, doing some good old-fashioned fingering. Stop it. And I was like, yes, Mink, that's exactly what I thought. They say, well, maybe it was a witness who was writing these anonymous letters because they had seen Rodney do it.
1: Letters is a really strong term that we're using here for what these were. (laughs) Could you read them?
0: One said, Her boyfriend is the killer.
1: Almost in an accent. The boyfriend did it. It was really, the boyfriend did it. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest penmanship. They were all fragmented sentences, it appeared, (laughs) written on scraps that were just sent to the police. Did they fingerprint the letters? Great question. Anyways, it was interesting. (laughs) So they think
0: that Rodney's story doesn't make sense. They say, well, he should have gotten to Carla's parents' house within a few minutes. He said he was only passed out a few minutes, five minutes.
1: Well, he doesn't know.
0: But he doesn't know. He was passed out. Exactly. So, and they only lived about a mile away from the bowling alley. He says, I woke up, I drove right there. And they say, well, it took you 45 minutes to get there. That doesn't make sense. But again, how did they know the exact time of the attack? Like how does Rodney even know? Was he looking at the clock at the exact time of the attack?
1: Really good point.
0: How did do, did he look at the clock right when he woke up? Is that how he said he was only out for a few minutes? I feel like he might have no idea about time. He was concussed most likely.
1: I think you also always think you're only if you black out, you only think you're out for a few minutes. Right? It's why people in the comas always wake up and don't know time has passed, right? I mean, that's not always. That's in the movies.
0: In the movies, they wake up from a coma and they go, Who are you?
1: Or where am I?
0: Where am I? What year is it?
1: Do they say that? They might say that.
0: They always say things like that. Carla's siblings tell police that Rodney had dried blood all over his face that night, that it was, in their words, coagulated. I don't like that word. And they feel like it should have been wet. And so, again, they feel like the time is not matching up.
1: No, but that's again, he was probably passed out for longer than he thought. This goes with that theory. Okay,
0: exactly. They also bring up the fact that he kept saying they took Carla. They're going to hurt Carla. And then he describes that it was only one person. I felt like maybe the killer's preferred pronoun was they and he was just being respectful. Is that possible at all in 1974?
1: I'm pretty sure what happened was he assumed it was a gang. He assumed that he this person was taking her to more people like that she was being kidnapped for ransom.
0: I just feel like I say they sometimes when I'm just talking about some random person. This really rude lady cut me off. They were so rude,
1: you know. But think about how much he used it in the terms. He never said he. It was like, they've got her. They've got her. Maybe that's just the way he talks. I'm wondering if he also, at the moment, and he doesn't remember this now, but maybe he thought he saw another person. Or maybe he thought he saw someone in the murderer's car. You know, I don't know. He probably couldn't see very well. He was really bloody. I feel like it was just a genuine mistake. Also, do you think that there's any way that he was maybe feeling like he should have done more? Under no circumstances could he have, because he was beaten. Yes, he
0: was wracked with guilt.
1: But, right, so maybe by saying they, it made it seem to her father, I didn't let this one man take her. There were more people
0: that took her. Oh, that's interesting.
1: I don't know. I hope that's not it, but I'm trying to think of, like, in an 18-year-old's mind—
0: The police also feel like his story about the gun not going off and clicking three times didn't make sense because for this gun, you pull it and it clicks and then you try to shoot again and it doesn't click. You have to like pull back the hammer thing again to get it to click. But it does make a clicking sound. When you're just pulling it because the metal of the trigger is hitting the metal on the gun. So it does still make a clicking sound. It's just not that intense that it would make if the gun doesn't go off.
1: So if he's going that first that doesn't go off and goes the lighter clicks and it's he said it was three to four inches from his face. Yeah, you would totally hear that.
0: Yeah. Rodney has since moved on with his life or tried to, even though he's still haunted with it. He became an engineer. He had a family and kids. He got divorced. He moved back to Texas. He became a grandpa. He was really excited to hear that the new detectives are looking at the case again, but they didn't feel like he was very excited that they were looking at it again. They say they had to reschedule with him several times before he'd actually come in to talk to them. And they said he seemed stressed and nervous they feel like he's the killer they have no proof though but they are sure he's the
1: killer I am sure he really doesn't want to dig all this up and talk about it again yeah if I had to guess
0: yeah and at this point this is where I started doing the I hope I'm not wrong oh I hope it's not Rodney okay please don't tell me that I've been tricked I get such a nice vibe from Rodney this is where I was doing that thing Enter Paul Holes, legendary handsome Paul Holes. You know him? You don't, really? I don't know him. But you know all those true crime
1: podcast guys. They said I was supposed to know him and I felt embarrassed.
0: I'm a little embarrassed for you. He is legendary in the true crime world to some people, not everyone, I guess.
1: Just like Katie.
0: No, you weren't alone. There were plenty of people on Twitter like, who is Paul Holes? And then there were plenty of other people being like, Paul Holes with the heart emojis and the heart eyes emojis.
1: Oh, so people just think he's really handsome. Is he, He's handsome?
0: He's also quite legendary. He helped so- find the Golden State Killer.
1: And I have been saving all that stuff. I haven't done that case because I feel like it's just going to be a rap. You know what happens to me? Yeah. So, I've just kind of been holding it to the side. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, he is a retired sheriff's investigator that true crime fans know well. And so do their hormones because the <laughs> ladies love Paul Holes. And he has a show on Oxygen called The DNA of Murder with Paul Holes. My mom goes, Can we hear more about Paul Holes? Like, <laughs> she just kept watching him. He's handsome.
1: Wow. Oh, I'm sure my mom would love him, too, then. okay.
0: Something that gets me as hot and bothered as Paul Holes is plant-based protein. That gets me absolutely steamy. Wow. Just Egg is a cholesterol-free plant-based egg that has about the same protein as a chicken egg and less saturated fat. So never again will myself and all of my plant-based peeps have to put up with people saying, but how do you get your protein? I'll say it's 2022, Linda. It's called Just Egg. Plus, Just Egg is packed with cholesterol-lowering polyunsaturated fat. Chicken eggs wish they were this healthy. Oh, and because Just Egg comes from plants, you're also helping to save our planet, which means you can stop pretending to reuse your paper towels because we all know you're not really doing it. Hey. Just Egg has been a welcome addition to my plant-based diet. And I love that I can find it at the regular grocery store. That makes it so easy. You just pour it out of the little bottle. Like I've used it to make these spinach quiche bites that were so incredible. And I didn't have to crack an egg and then fish out the little broken shells because I'm not very good at cracking the egg. Next time someone says you can't make an omelet without cracking some eggs, I'm going to say you're an idiot. It's called just egg. It's really good Eggs. Everyone, do yourself a favor and check out Just Egg. Join me on the plant-based train. It's excellent.
1: Yay! Thank you, Just Egg.
0: Thank you, Just Egg. Another thing that gets me all excited, Katie, is people taking care of their mental health.
1: Absolutely. 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 And in this episode, people got stuff going on, and not just in this episode. A lot of people just out there in the world, have some stuff going on. But the emotions in this episode specifically really run the gambit. I'm talking grief, depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts. And of course, this is just a handful of the issues that the counselors at BetterHelp are skilled to assist with. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in as quick as 24 hours. You can send a message to your counselor at any time and you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions if that's something that feels better for you. BetterHelp is committed to creating great matches between you and your counselor, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed for any reason, which can be kind of a daunting prospect if you've ever been through this before. So it's great that BetterHelp makes that easy. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So many people have been using BetterHelp in the recent years that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So what are you waiting for? Get some BetterHelp for yourself. We want you to start living a happier, healthier life today. And as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Dateline. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dateline for 10% off your first month. Because we can all use a little better help. Thank you so much. Better help. Check them out, guys. Everyone
0: check them out. New year, new health. Yep. Get some help on your health.
1: Get some better help on your health.
0: So, Paul Holes, back to very handsome, very talented crime solver, Paul Holes, is a, Katie didn't know who it was. He, who's also a good egg, is an expert in geological.
1: Did you say he's an expert? I'm going to kill you.
0: Expert. Okay. No, I didn't, but that I wish I had. (laughs) I did say geological, which I didn't mean to say. I meant to say genealogical.
1: That's not a thing. It's that's too many syllables, so take out a couple and try again. <laughs> G- genealogical genealogist,
0: sure. Really, what is it called?
1: What's the sentence you're trying to say?
0: He's looking into genealogy DNA work, which is where you have a, someone's DNA and you're able to track them down f- through finding their relatives. And usually, we hear about this in famous cases like. Golden State Killer, and probably half of the podcast you're listening to right now, which is when you find them through one of these genealogy websites, because a relative of a cousin of a cousin of a cousin put in their DNA to this website. And that's how they track down a lot of these killers now. Paul Holes is an expert in that. Got it. And the thing with this is it's very expensive. The police department can't afford to do it. Paul Holes and his TV show producers donate the money for the testing. Yeah. It's like $18,000. And because the original investigators had packaged everything so perfectly, the new DNA techs are able to find new things. They find a new single sperm cell on her bra strap. So Paul says there's this great genealogical lab that he's worked with. Send it there. The problem, another problem, is that these samples, you have to use up the sample whenever you do the test on it. So you only have so much of these samples. So now they have run out of this sample and they don't get a result from it. So Paul Holes feels like he has let the family down and he has a whole in his heart there is another sample that they have that is very 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 tiny and it's also degraded and it is also mixed with carla's dna so they don't think they can do anything about this but then they hear from a man who has seen Paul's episode on his Oxygen show that he did on Carla's case. And this man's name is David Middleman, and he is the CEO of Othram Labs. And he says that his text can use even the tiniest sample of degraded DNA to work with. But if they do this, this will, of course, use up that whole sample. So it is a big gamble because once it's gone, it's gone. But the police decide we're going to do it. So they send it to this lab. And right away, they get an answer. They get a full profile. And from that profile, they are able to find a relative of this killer. The name that they get, the last name is McCurley. And the cop says, I have a McCurley on my list. He's one of the suspects.
1: Of the 40 that they had, right?
0: Of the 80, whatever, the 40 that had owned that kind of gun. There we go was a McCurley. He is the son. He's like a junior. So there's Glenn Samuel McCurley. Then there's a Glenn Jr. And he lived in Fort Worth at the time of the murder. And so they think this has to be him. He had at the time told the police that his gun had been stolen and he passed a polygraph at the time in the 70s. Mank points out, this is why, and I felt like he was talking to me because I put too much weight on polygraphs, that this is why they're not used in court because they fail. Yeah. So Junior still lives in Fort Worth near the bowling alley, which is just gross to me (laughs) that he stayed and lives that close to the bowling alley. So he can drive by all the time.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: They send officers out to his house. He's now 70s, 80?
1: 70s, late 70s, I think.
0: 70s. And on the body cam of the officer that goes out to his house, he jokingly raises his hands and says, I didn't do a darn thing.
1: This was wild. The wife is like, he's around back. And he comes around and immediately listens. He makes a dad joke. He also says, dang,
0: thing." He said, I didn't do a dang thing, but he's like joking in
1: the thickest accent
0: and cut to Mank who says, oh, yeah, you did.
1: Oh, I loved it. I couldn't have loved it more.
0: So the, Mank also says that the officer that went out to the house was smooth and outright folksy. True. So he's joking around with Glenn Jr., And Glenn Jr. is telling him about how he wants to move to a lake and fish when he retires. And I was like, you're 80. How are you not retired yet? But he wants to go fish for the rest of his life. And then Mank says the police were the ones fishing and they were reeling him in. So good to have you back, Mank.
1: Thank you. Just thank you.
0: Police come back that night and they sneakily go through Glenn's trash. They pull anything that he might have touched and tested. They get a match from a McDonald's straw.
1: Because they need sperm DNA from him specifically, not his family line, from him to get the indictment, right? Correct. Because they just know
0: it's someone connected to that McCurley.
1: The McCurleys. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: It could have been one of the uncles or something, even though they weren't in Fort Worth at that time. They just need it to be really locked down. So They get a match from a McDonald's straw. I always knew fast food was good. Also, I'm glad fast food is on our bingo cards because now we've gotten a Taco Bell and a McDonald's in this episode.
1: You always knew fast food was good? What was that sentence? It's just good. It solves cases. It's good for DNA, yes.
0: It's not good for your arteries, but it's great for solving crimes. That should be their motto. They go back to the house with an audio recorder And they ask Glenn, can we have a sample of your DNA? And they say it's about a girl that was kidnapped a long time ago from a bowling alley. And he says, oh, I think I gave you my DNA back then in the 70s. And his wife chimes in and says they didn't have DNA back then.
1: Mrs. McCurley to the rescue. No, they didn't have that back then, Glenn.
0: And Mink says, he's looking at her like, what are you doing to me, Janet? Thanks. So great. Can you get us some coffee? So he says, well, that weekend I was probably with my wife. I probably spent most of the weekend with my wife. And then the wife chips in again. And she goes, no, I had gone to visit my parents out of town that weekend.
1: She is so tired of his nonsense.
0: She's like, will this lock him up for good? Because he leaves his underwear all over the house and I'm sick of him.
1: She has been doing this for 50 years. Yeah. She would also like to live on a lake. (laughs) So maybe if he could get his retirement stuff together, they could make that happen. But she's just waiting. Yeah.
0: And she's sick of his dumb jokes. Like, I didn't do a dang thing. She's like, oh, God, Glenn. Another Glenn joke. She's so sick of it. Mank says to the detectives, you should think of deputizing her.
1: She was pretty great. Actually, you should. She should volunteer down at the station. She's incredible. Yeah, paid volunteer.
0: Yes. So they bring in Glenn and they talk to him and they show him a picture of Carla and he says, I've never seen her. After an hour of gentle coaxing and literal handholding, he says, I did it, I guess. And when I say literal handholding, The female detective literally has her hands on his hand like he's her beloved grandma that she's comforting on her deathbed. And when he says, I hit Rodney, and then he admits that he kidnapped Carla, and he says he choked Carla to death, he's crying, he's sobbing, and they're handing him tissues. And at this point, even the male detective scooches his chair in to comfort him. I was like, what? He's a killer. I know he's old, but geez, they're practically swaddling him and rocking him to sleep like shh.
1: shh it's okay. I had that same reaction and I thought about it and I watched it again and I have a new thought. First of all, this is Texas. You and I don't live in Texas and so we've never lived there. So they probably do things a little different in those parts. But second, I think what's happening here is I think these detectives are good at their job where it appears that they're kind of coddling this old man. I think they're doing that to extract the information that they need because being standoffish with McCurley is not going to get them what they need. But if they make him feel real safe And like, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure that, you know, you're taken care of. And, you know, we'll sort this out. I bet they're doing all that kind of slow talk, make him feel so that he admits more and more and more. I think they're actually being smart.
0: You want some biscuits and gravy? Right. My sister brought in some fudge. Yeah. Can I get you a McDonald's shake? (laughs) I know you love McDonald's.
1: Don't you? And I apologize for my Texas accent. I don't have it. But do you know what I'm saying? Do you think that's what they were doing? Yeah, no, I totally get it. It is jarring in the moment. When I first saw it, I was like, stop touching him. No, I think she's doing that so he'll keep talking.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great tactic. And it worked.
1: But I think she might have been upset with herself after and been like, ugh.
0: I feel like she did a great job, but I feel like she had to scrub her hands with Lysol afterwards. Yes. Because she didn't want to touch him.
1: Yeah, I think she might have felt a little grody, but she got the job done.
0: She did it. Carla's brother and sister are shocked when they hear the news that they finally solved this case. Also, that this guy, Glenn, lived like a mile away from their house and probably had to drive by the house all the time after the murder, which is, again, just gross.
1: Really awful. Just really enough.
0: Rodney is thrilled he cannot believe that it's finally been solved and his name has been cleared. So Mank is sitting with Rodney and he says, we've been framing you kind of doing a very close shot of your head so people can't tell if you're in prison or not. Hey, And he says, basically, we like to fake out the audience and people, you know, Unlike Kimberly's dad, can't see through this ruse that we do every week. But we did it with you, Rodney. And now we're going to zoom out and we're going to see you're wearing a nice shirt and you're in a nice living room and you're not in prison. Sorry, we did that to you. This is our job. And we try to make it entertaining and a guessing game.
1: I felt weird about this. I felt like Josh was letting people in on Dateline Secrets. And I felt like, stop. No, I feel like they've already done that. I know, but I, I got a little protective.
0: I just felt more like Rodney wasn't happy being a pawn in Dateline's game, but he's very happy to tell his side of the story and that his name was clear. But I don't feel like he totally understood what Josh was saying.
1: I think Rodney's really hard to read. Yeah. I think Rodney might be a an introvert, and I think Rodney's very sensitive.
0: Yeah, I think he's an introvert. I don't think he watches a lot of Dateline, so he's not familiar with what Josh is talking about. And he's like, you've tried to frame me for murder. What are you talking about?
1: Right. I don't know if he understands.
0: It's very sweet, though. You can tell he's just very relieved that his name is finally cleared. He's been kind of a suspect since he was 18 years old.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: He says it feels just like a huge relief. So I think he's like Josh Mankowitz. I don't know what you're talking about, but it's great. So Glenn goes to trial. He is wheeled into court in a wheelchair looking very feeble like Harvey Weinstein, but we're not falling for that. And they have a ton of evidence against him. They have his actual confession. So on day three, before his defense even has a turn, he pleads guilty and gets life, which will be about 18 more days.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: He's quite old at this point. It's like when Robert Durst got a life sentence. And Carla's brother at the trial is comforting Glenn's son who's crying because he probably had no idea his dad was like this and did this. And he's comforting him. And Mank says to Carla's brother, you're a better man than I am. And I was like, Mank, don't say that you're the best man.
1: It was so sweet.
0: And then Jimmy, the brother says, well, I've had 45 years to get to that place where I can do that.
1: And I think he also understands, like, the pain of losing someone. And this, he's about to lose his dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to get to be with him when he passes because his dad's going to prison for doing horrible things. So you didn't know him. That's rough. Jimmy's got a big heart.
0: Then we see some more backstory. There are other things about Glenn. Bigger questions that were not allowed to be brought up in the trial. So we rewind to more of that interrogation
1: room. And holding hands.
0: Where they're talking to Glenn. And holding hands, rocking, swaying, baby, it's okay. And singing that song, Lullaby. You know that song? Good night, my angel. Now it's time to sleep. Absolutely not that song.
1: <laughs> not the Billy Joel lullaby.
0: Rockaby, rockaby is the song I'm thinking of.
1: Rockaby. Oh, Cullen. Yeah, boo. Who sang that song? Everything's gonna, gonna be, be alright. Rock-a-bye. That song is bad. I'm sorry if you like that song, Mark Cullen. Something Cullen.
0: I used to love that song. You did not. Why? I was a
1: teenage romantic. But rockabye, that's for a baby, not an adult relationship.
0: It felt very Goo Goo Dolls to me, who I also really loved.
1: We did so well a little bit ago because we really meet up on that one song. The
0: theme song to Sopranos. We do. We. That's where we meet in the middle of our music tastes.
1: And then it just goes in two completely opposite directions.
0: There's a Venn diagram and it only overlaps theme song to the Sopranos.
1: And it's literally why I'm scared to do the host Spotify playlist. <laughs> oh, this is going to be worldly different.
0: <laughs> that's why I'm going to have it fan based.
1: I totally agree now. I did. I thought about it. We can both add a few songs.
0: We can add whatever we want. Absolutely. But also the listeners and the viewers of Dateline can put in who they think represents their hosts. Okay, so back to Glenn. They ask him in the interrogation, why did you pick that spot where you left Carla? The culvert. See, I remembered. Good job. And Glenn says, well, there was that building and I put her up against the side of the building. Mm -mm. There's no building. Not at all. It's called a culvert, Glenn. There's no building. Mm-mm. So they say, oh, my gosh, he's talking about another girl. So they say, because they're still being really nice to him. Could this possibly be some someone else that you did this to? And he says, no, no, I wasn't that drunk. I, I only did it the one time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: I think he thinks they're asking about the same night. Because he says, I wouldn't have done it twice. I think that he's thinking that he killed her and then went and killed someone else.
0: Interesting. That makes sense.
1: He seemed to be very confused by the phrasing.
0: He does seem to be confused. So they start to look at other cold cases and they go back to the original detective Minter from the very beginning. And he had always felt like this was not the killer's first time. So he feels like they're right on track now.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There was a girl, Becky Martin, who was 21, and she was abducted in the parking lot of her junior college. And her body was found the year before Carla's, but in the same area. So they're looking into that case. They're also looking into two other cases, Christy Towers and Angela Ewart. And none of them were found by a building, though. So they think it might be someone
1: else. My gosh. It would be weird if it's only one, though, right? Don't you think?
0: I totally agree. I think it's very rare when it's only one. Yeah.
1: I think it's got to be a couple.
0: Rodney still dreams about Carla. And we see him back at the high school football field. And he's cheering on the current team that he was the star quarterback of which I thought was very sweet but also I feel like the current teenagers are you know how teenagers are who is this old guy standing over there with the cameras oh he's the one that they thought murdered that girl a hundred years ago you know they just don't have a sense of respect for it
1: no no They don't have a sense of respect about anything.
0: But it is sweet that he's back at the school.
1: I sort of assumed that he had taken up like assistant coaching. It did not seem weird to me that he was on the sidelines. I thought that he was going to like maybe have gone back to coach because they said he moved back to Texas.
0: No, I don't think so. But see, the coach wouldn't still be the coach there if it was a less amount of time and not 45 years. I would hope the coach would be like, remember, this is this guy, everyone kneel up, take a knee. This is Rodney. And he was the star quarterback and tell him some war stories, Rodney, about the games. You know, that's what I would hope it would be like.
1: I think they did do that. That seems right in my world, because also keep in mind, it's Texas football. Yeah. They know their history. They learn it. They know who came before. They have all those pictures up on the wall.
0: Like on Cheer, where they have to memorize all of the names of every team in history of the Cheer team. That's from first season. I'm not spoiling anything. This episode is dedicated to Dana Kay and D.C., which sounds like D.C., like Washington. It's not. It's like D.E.E. Oh, cool. And Dana K from Texas. Hey, D and Dana,
1: I apologize for my accent. D and Dana. D and Dana's sounds like not an internet cafe. Maybe a cookie shop. D and Dana's. Yeah. Or like a
0: girls group. The Judds.
1: Could be. Or party planners.
0: Yeah. I could totally see that. D and Dana, I have to ask you a couple questions. One, how terrible is my Texas accent? Yeah. Two, do you know what a culvert is? Because I just learned.
1: They're going to think you're saying Culver's, which is actually a chain of restaurants. You know that Culver's is a chain of like burger restaurants, right?
0: I'm saying culvert with the T.
1: Yeah. And I'm just taking it off every time.
0: I just don't enunciate.
1: <laughs> they probably do. We might be the only two that don't know it.
0: Dee and Dana sound very smart. They're smart enough to be
1: Patreons. Oh, thank you. We appreciate you so much. We truly do all of our Patreons. But thank you, D and Dana, specifically.
0: Thank you. And y'all are amazing.
1: Y'all are amazing.
0: Is that fine? That's fine. I can't turn it off now. Now it's here. It's going to go right into B-roll Bonanza.
1: Let's roll on into the B-roll. Let's roll on in.
0: B-roll Bonanza.
1: Yeehaw! haw Ride. All right, let's go. <laughs> 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 thank you, ladies. Thank you. So B-roll Bonanza. Amazing 1970s photos. Just every photo from the 70s. Every
0: single one of Carla and her sister Cindy were straight out of the Brady Bunch. Love it. It was so cool. All of the ones of all the teenagers. Fashion, everything. So cool. There's lots of shots of the present day football team also. Lots of shots of the culvert.
1: Lots of culvert. Yeah,
0: Lots of driving shots from the point of view of the car. The car's point of view of driving around that night.
1: Lots of the labs. We got a lot of DNA test tube with the hole, Paul, Mr. Hole. Where you squeeze the thing into the little pipette, or you
0: squeeze it from the pipette into the little tube.
1: See, you know pipette, so people may know culvert, but they may not know pipette.
0: I think people know pipette. You Take the pipette and you squeeze it into the tube.
1: I have... Th- Thousands of those.
0: And then you pour it from the tube into the beaker. And those are all the science words
1: I know. Do you want some pipettes? I have like 700. I got too many on accident. No, thank you. Because I use them to transfer glitter stuff. I never. Anyways, (laughs) Okay, let's move on.
0: You just gave up in that sentence. You were like, I use it to. It's glitter.
1: I did because there wasn't going to be a great way to describe it. That didn't make it sound real nerdy. Okay, Othram Lab. Did you see the line of white fridges? Yes. So this was weird to me because the lab was super high tech, but they weren't like the most high tech white fridge. They were your very basic freezer on top, fridge on the bottom, (laughs) door on the top. Do you know what I'm saying? No ice maker. I sort of respect that because I know this is a top of the line, cutting edge lab. Yeah. But they needed those for cold. And so that's what they're there for.
0: You were picturing... The kind from those commercials with Kristen Bell, and they have the glass window in the front. There's like a TV screen. You could go to the store and then look on your phone. Do I have tomatoes? And then it'll show you live footage inside your fridge and you can see if you have tomatoes. Not tomatoes. I don't keep tomatoes in the fridge.
1: Do you like that? No, it's too much. I feel like it's too much too, but maybe because we don't have kids. Or you had kids and one of them had a special diet, was allergic to a lot of stuff. Maybe that would be like something that you'd need something a little bit more high tech. But for myself, I feel like I would not use that technology.
0: Big Brother is already watching us at all times. I don't need it looking in my fridge. No, thank you.
1: Have you been talking to Oliver? Why'd you say that? (laughs) Stop calling Oliver early in the morning to have these conversations.
0: But these are like your basic bottom of the line
1: Kenmore's. That's what I'm saying. Not even a Kenmore Shenmore. Like not even, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's they were so plain. It was the plainest of fridges, so I was very surprised, but I also respected it because it was like, no, it's doing its job.
0: It's a workhorse. It's going to last you for years.
1: They're workhorse fridges. It's like those vacuums. Dyson's are great, but the vacuums that work the best are the ones that weigh a thousand pounds. They're stand up. They're metal. Those Orbeck ones. Do you know what I'm talking about? They, they look like they're from 1972 because they've never changed the style. Yeah. Those things work like gangbusters and they're the best. That's all I'm saying. They don't look fancy, but they work.
0: My hair gets too caught in those rollers. I need like the the hose technology. But after a year, my hair is just all up in there and I'm not cutting it out. So I just use the hose.
1: But you have long hair. Yeah, I could see where that'd be a pain.
0: I have long hair. It gets wrapped around quite a bit.
1: Yeah, that'd be a pain in the rear. Jim is on the porch with coffee. I like that. Yeah. Also, I know we're not doing MVP so much anymore, but it would be between Jim and Rodney in this episode. And I think I would give it to Jim. Mm hmm. I loved his interview style. I had a quotable quote from him. I'm just going back to all the stuff we used to do. He described Carla as she's four feet eleven on a good day if she's taking a big breath. (laughs) That's pretty great, right?
0: Yeah, that's very
1: cute. I loved everything that he did.
0: Fashion police. Yeah. There's so much 70s fashion. There's one shot of Carla where she's wearing a yellowish dress. She's standing in front of the car and she's wearing something green that's like a corsage, but also a scarf or something. And it cut the ribbon part comes down to the floor. And I couldn't tell if it was part of the dress. It was a very fascinating look. What's a cotillion? That's not for cotillion. Or maybe I don't know what people dress like for cotillion in the 70s.
1: It seemed like something that would be part of a club, almost like 4-H or something that you wear those and then the ribbons extend all the way.
0: All the way to the floor.
1: That's a cool thing.
0: Yeah, it was cool. I don't know what it was.
1: I know what you're talking about. I saw it too.
0: Also, I liked that several shots of her where she had the barrettes that you put straight across, like perpendicular to the floor on the sides of your face. You
1: could do that. Why don't you do that? I don't think I could pull that off. Not at my age. You're dead wrong.
0: Also, I liked Rodney's sideburns. He had like triangle sideburns that were a little
1: poofy. Did you notice that we had a double color in this and it made it difficult because we do get a few interviews with Carla's best friends who are Connie and Christy. So Connie and Christy, one of them, who are very cute, by the way, and you can tell they're still friends. Connie or Christy, one of them, is in bright royal blue. And also Carla's sister is in royal blue. They're both in the same shade, just solid color tops. And that doesn't happen all the time. Hmm. I mix them at one point hmm. because of the blue tops. That's all. Also, Mank is in a very sharp navy blazer. I think it might be in the barbed wire scene. And he has a hot pink hanky.
0: I love when he does the hot pink. In the rest of it, he has this blue, orange, red hanky, mm-hmm. which I also liked. But overall, Carla's fashion with the epics, she had smooth, smooth hair. And then halfway down her face, she had those Farrah Fawcett
1: wings. Her 70s fashion. Also, her dance dress. it it broke my heart because you were like, I don't, the specialness of dance dresses, like picking that out or like the one that you really want, like that little blue and it had the little raised dots on it. Did you see the texture of the dress? Do you know? It's so specific to that era. I love those. Yeah, it was, that was hard. This, this whole thing was a precious moment, by the way. Let's just be very clear. This episode is brutal, but With such an interesting end that, like, technology saved the day. It's crazy. Titles. Let's go. It's time. Mine aren't very good. I have one that I need your help with because it could be good. Okay. Instead. You're being coy, which makes me think you have a good one.
0: No, I don't. Instead of catching a killer, Mm -hmm. coddling a killer. There we go. The Golden State Killer meets the Golden Arches.
1: Oh, because Hole and because they solved it with the the straw from the McDonald's, and because the Hole worked on the Golden State Killer,
0: Paul Hole's worked on that. Yeah, there we go. No holes in the case, except he was kind of involved in the case. It doesn't really make sense.
1: Holes in the evidence because he's technically in the helping with the evidence. Sure. Yeah. Does that work? Yeah. What about culvert operation?
0: Oh, that's good. I like that.
1: Boy, I did not have good ones. I really wanted to get somewhere with clicks and I couldn't. I don't know why. They said hammer to fall at one point and I was going to use that because they talked about that with the gun. It's also a queen song, but I can't sing it. So so marathon, not a sprint colon the last lap. Oh, because it's
0: yeah,
1: it, it ended. Okay, this is the one I need your help with. So spare the Rodney spoil the murderer's getaway. <laughs> Is that, but it's I need the last part to be condensed. Well, they're kind of
0: spoiling the killer by petting his hand.
1: Yeah, they're spoiling his plan. They're spoiling his his what?
0: But what if they're just spoiling the killer?
1: Spare the Rodney, spoil the killer. Yeah, there we go. Did it. Teamwork. Love it. Like Mad Libs. Excellent.
0: Thank you, everybody, so, so much. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and (laughs) check out our Patreon. We do 90 Day Fiance and Amazing Race, and we do a full bonus true crime episode every month, and we do live streams also. And it's really, really fun. Come check out our Patreon community.
1: Yes, you will not be disappointed.
0: No. And thank you again, Dee and Dana, for joining our Patreon
1: community. Thank you. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves and be your own Monte Carlo. Yeah, let's change the Bugatti. Be your own Monte Carlo. That car was it looked fancy. I do like a person who is under five feet in a car that size. Yeah, it's awesome. There's something about that that I love. But they didn't tell us. Did Jim keep the car? They didn't. We see him driving.
0: Yeah, he should. I wonder if he kept it. Maybe he did.
1: Hopefully so. She
0: had other siblings, too.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I would like to know. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. And not to be confused with Jimmy Keen from last week.
0: The inside man whose life is becoming a TV show, actually, with Greg Kinnear and Ray Liotta. Someone sent that to me today. Oh. So if you listened to our episode last week from The Inside Man and we made fun of Jimmy Keene like his Hollywood dreams were never going to come true, it appears they are coming true, finally.
1: I think he is pretty stupendous, actually. So I think that both you and I might have to do an addendum.
0: To say you're stupendous.
1: Yeah, to say you're stupendous and then to also really get down to the business of that one scene, which is, I think, what we had the hardest time with, which was the knocking over three tables. That's really where we struggled the most.
0: I thought you were going to say his B-roll where he's crouching on the sand, letting the sand flow through his fingers.
1: That's what Hollywood budding, like Hollywood budding starlets do things like that. So that makes sense now. What I'm still having a hard time with, and I want to see Ray Liotta and Greg Kinnear in the scene when the pushing happens. I
0: don't think either of them are in the scene, but yeah. Why not? I think Ray Liotta plays his dad and Greg Kinnear plays the detective.
1: So who plays him? Unsure. Is he playing him? Couldn't figure that
0: out. No, I don't think so.
1: Is it Henry Cavill? I do want to know if it's going to be Henry Cavill. Okay.
0: I wasn't expecting to use the word sperm so much in a Dateline episode, I do have to say. It seemed to come up several times. Why? Anna and Natalie, our friends on Twitter, said that I might have to add it to the Dateline bingo cards. Sperm.
1: It's just so upsetting in this case. It is. You know, because of why it's there. That's why it's upsetting. But yeah, they do bring it up. Also, I didn't know that this was something that was so specific, I guess. I think I just thought that, I mean, I knew you had to get the sample from somewhere, but the fact that they're able to tell exactly what kind it is, like it can't, like, you know, they talk about touch DNA and all this other stuff. So is this, I'm going to say the word, sperm DNA, is this the most accurate? Is it just a very accurate kind of DNA?
0: I don't know. I just it's just different than blood DNA or skin cell DNA. Right. It's just a different type of cell. So I don't know if it is more accurate or not. That's a good question.
1: Should I write Paul Holes? Yeah.
0: Introduce yourself first.
1: (laughs) Hi, longtime fan. (laughs) I'll just start off with a lie. We're going to go with that.
0: No, you should go. You should go Longtime writer, first time listener,
1: long time writer, first time listener, a fellow podcaster.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he'll be really impressed by our numbers.
1: Oh, no, I'm going to say I'm from a date with in a really small font, dateline in a bigger font. (laughs) And then maybe he'll blur his eyes when he's reading or won't have his glasses on. It's perfect. Sometimes I can be clever. We'll see. Yeah, it's
0: perfect.
1: What have I got to lose? Let's try it. I need my questions answered.
0: At this point, my dad, Bob, who I was watching the episode with, says, you know, it's not Rodney because he's not being interviewed by Mank in a prison. And I said, they trick us all the time. And you would know that if you ever listened to our podcast. And he said, you have a podcast? Then why aren't you on this episode instead of that podcast guy? This is what I have to put up with.
1: Bob. 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 That hurts me too, Bob. (laughs) You're really hurting Katie.
0: We all know you like her more.
1: You're really hurting two of us. There's two of us in this relationship.
0: Your two daughters is harsh.